my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. All right, well, good morning and welcome to FBC and our online worship service. I'm so glad that you're here with us. My name's Matt and I'm one of the pastors. I just want to say welcome, especially if you're new, especially if you're just checking us out for the first time or one of the first few times. We're glad that you're with us and I want to invite you to open up your Bible with us to the book of 2 Timothy. We've been uh, reading this letter in the New Testament uh, from the Apostle Paul to a young pastor named Timothy in the first century. And so we've been uh, calling this series Onward, where just little by little we're walking through this book that is really all about pointing us forward, looking onward out into the future of life and ministry as Paul is writing this letter in the first century, just encouraging Timothy uh, with all these uh, uh, commands and encouragements and, and ideas that are to allow him to step out into the future uh, with confidence as he follows Jesus. And so it's a really timely book for us today as we look out in an uncertain future and step in as well. Uh, would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we uh, turn our hearts to you now and we, we thank you for the gift of uh, worship that we can draw near to you. We thank you for the gift of your word that you have made yourself known to us. And so we come with humble hearts, Lord, uh, we don't stand over your word. We place ourselves uh, humbly under the authority of, of your word and, and ask you to teach us and shape us and convict us and guide us, Lord, uh, by the power of your spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the Bible uses a number of pictures or, or images to describe uh, life as a Christian. Okay, so we'll think of uh, the image of a son returning home that Jesus talks about in Luke chapter 15. Uh, being a Christian is like returning home and there being this big feast and party thrown and a celebration because you have been reunited with your father. Uh, or we could think of, of Psalm 23 and it gives us the picture not of a son returning home but of a, a sheep that is in the care of their shepherd. So a sheep that is protected and nurtured and well-fed and, and watched over. Uh, we can think of the image in Isaiah chapter 5 or, or elsewhere in the Old Testament of God's people being described as a vineyard that is watered and, and cared for, that, that bears fruit. And so in the Bible we have all these images, these really beautiful pictures of a son returning home and a celebration and a sheep that is protected and a vineyard that produces fruit and these images of, of life and abundance and comfort and rest. And naturally, we're drawn to those pictures. Uh, we love to read those truths, and they're all true. Those do describe life with Jesus. And we think maybe, well, we should just stop there with the talk of life and abundance and comfort and rest. That sounds great. 
But we know that there's also more to the story. The Bible gives us other pictures and images when describing what it's like to be a Christian in the life of a Christian. Images that uh, bring up hard work and sacrifice and suffering and endurance. Images like a devoted soldier. Images like a disciplined athlete competing. Images like a hard-working, exhausted farmer. And so these are the kinds of images that Paul is going to write about here in chapter 2 of 2 Timothy. Again, I want to invite you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we're going to see the Apostle Paul use these images, these pictures of, of devotion and hard work and, and, and hardship and labor and suffering to describe part of what it looks like to be a Christian. And we're going to see what that means for us today. Just a reminder of where we've been. Uh, we're starting chapter 2. So chapter 1 ended with Paul giving us these examples of, of faithfulness and loyalty uh, some have stayed uh, with Paul and been an encouragement to Paul and, and while he's in prison, refreshed him and visited him, while others have abandoned him and deserted him. And Paul's talked about how, how challenging that has been. And now, uh, right after that, we're starting chapter 2 where Paul is going to give some more pointed uh, instruction to Timothy specifically. And you notice with me how he starts in verse 1. He says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You then, my son. So we've, we've talked about these bad examples, those who have deserted me and discouraged me. And then we've seen good examples, those who have been loyal to me and refreshed me. Now you, Timothy, my son, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to be strong in the grace that is in Christ. Now notice that he starts here, okay, there's, there's plenty of instruction to come and commands and, and exhortation to come, but he starts here with a word of grace, with a reminder of the grace that is in Christ. And he says, be strong in that grace. Or maybe your translation says, uh, be strengthened by. It's, it's a passive verb. So be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ. It's important that we start here because grace is this theme that we see all throughout Scripture. Right? Grace meaning unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. Favor. Grace is when we receive favor or, or blessings or, or things from God that we did not earn, that we did not deserve. And ultimately, it's this word grace that we see throughout the scriptures and especially in the writings of Paul that's at the heart of the gospel message. It's all about God's grace. He saved us by grace, He's forgiven us and given us life as an act of His grace. It's a gift. We did not deserve it. We did not work for it. We did not earn it. But he freely gave it to us through the work of Jesus and all that Jesus has done, his life, death, and resurrection. And so, but before the instruction and before the commands on uh, right and appropriate Christian living, remember the grace you have in Jesus. Remember that you belong to God, not through your works, not through what you've achieved, not through your status, but simply through God's grace. 
given to you as a gift. And so as Paul reminds Timothy of that, uh, I want to remind you, church, of this truth. This morning, as you're listening, this is my word to you as well. Be strong, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ. Remember the favor you have before God because of Jesus. And in light of this, then, he, he continues and he says in verse, in verse 2, And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So again, uh, in chapter 1, if you remember our study, or if you read it again in our church-wide Bible reading plan on Friday, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and 2 was our reading, and tomorrow on Monday, chapter 3 and 4 is a part of our uh, New Testament in a Year reading plan. I hope you're on that with us. Um, So maybe you read this in chapter 1, Paul telling Timothy, hey, you need to guard the gospel. You need to protect this message and pass on these core truths of the faith, right? Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Okay, this is this big picture worldview of who God is and what God is up to. Don't stray from these core truths, okay? Not every hill is a hill to die on, but there are some hills that Christians should die on. So he's saying, don't stray from this, but he reminds Timothy here, hey, you're not to do this alone, though. You're not the only one that is to stand for the gospel and preserve the gospel and pass on the gospel. What does he say? He says there's this uh, progression in the text. The things you've heard from me, these core truths of the gospel, in the presence of many witnesses, okay, so these truths affirmed by the people of God that I have entrusted to you, I want you to do what? What does the text say? I want you to entrust to reliable people who will also be able or qualified to then entrust the gospel to other people. And so the gospel message is like this baton that is being passed uh, from Paul and the apostles to Timothy, from Timothy now to to other reliable people who then will be able to to teach the gospel and this, this way of life to the next generation. So this baton is being passed And so a huge part of the work of the church, we see, is then to train and to equip men and women who can go and train other people. Okay, Jesus tells us in Matthew 28 that we are to what? Go and make disciples. So we see then in in relation to that call, we are to make disciples who make disciples, who make more disciples, who then make more disciples. There's progression, there's multiplication effort in ministry. And this, this has always been the plan, right? If we think back to the ministry of Jesus and how we saw him spending his time, his methods on this earth, what do we see him doing? What, what was his method to reach the world? Robert Coleman puts it this way. He says, Jesus' concern was not with programs to reach the multitudes, but with men the multitudes would follow. Jesus' concern was not with programs to reach the multitudes, but men the multitudes would follow. So think about that. Jesus didn't spend the majority of his time with the crowds. He didn't expect the gospel to move forth through uh, some big, uh, massive-scale training seminar that he put on. It wasn't concerned with, again, programs that would excite the crowds and draw massive crowds in, although we know he did spend time with 
crowds, but he uh, spent most of his time pouring into the lives of a few disciples who then would be able to disciple others, that these convictions of the gospel and this commitment to Jesus Christ would be formed in the hearts of men and women, and they would then go and teach others and pass that on. Again, Greg Ogden similarly writes, disciples cannot be mass-produced, but are the product of intimate and personal investment. And so in the same way, the work of the church is not just to draw a crowd, but it's to, to make disciples. Now, here you might hear all this and say, well, that's well and good, but that really sounds like the work of the pastors. That sounds like your job, Matt and Lee and Kyle. That's what you are to be about. That's not really for me. And yes, here Paul is writing to Timothy, who is a pastor, and he's talking about uh, ministry, and the text speaks about there are going to be some reliable, faithful people who are equipped and able to teach other people. Uh, those things are true, but I don't believe this, this principle of passing on our faith is just reserved for paid church staff. Right? In, in the New Testament, the work of ministry the work of making disciples is the work of the church and, and the people of the church, not just a few select paid professional staff. And so I think we all here are invited to see ourselves as a key link in the chain of passing faith on from generation to generation, making disciples. And unfortunately, let's just be honest, the church in America hasn't always done a good job of doing this. In the past several decades, the focus I've seen has been, again, more on drawing a crowd, bringing people in, which is not a bad thing, but if we stop there, then the idea of training people to be disciple makers themselves can be somewhat foreign to us. And so this is something I want our church to grow in, and actually over the last couple years, we've been working on a plan to uh, improve our discipleship efforts here at the church through a process uh, we're calling growth groups. And so growth groups are a special kind of group that would enter into about a year-long process for discipleship. These groups would meet weekly. There'd be homework and extra study and training. There'd be a higher bar, more uh, expected of you if you're in a growth group. Uh, but the goal is that you would be equipped, trained, uh, grounded in these foundational truths of the gospel and then able to share them and lead a group of your own. We want to live out 2 Timothy 2, 2 here, to entrust the gospel to reliable men and women who then can go and teach others. And so uh, our church has this in mind and are working towards this, uh, but I wanted just to plant the seed for you now. Again, there's not like, hey, go sign up for a growth group right now. We're still developing this plan, but I wanted you to know that it's coming I wanted to plant the seed now, and I want you to even now pray and consider that God might be asking you to enter into this uh, intentional process of growth so that you'd be trained and able then to go and invest in and teach and disciple other people. So be praying about that and considering that God might call you to it. As Paul continues then in verse 3, this is where we get into the, the images, the, the pictures we talked about to start of, of what the work ahead and what life following Jesus will look like. And as we said at the beginning, these aren't necessarily pictures of rest and, and comfort and ease and celebration and feasting at a party. They're a little different. See verse 3. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. 
No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. So you notice in verse 3 now, Paul calls Timothy to what? Join him in suffering, in enduring hardship for the sake of the gospel. And he gives three kind of pictures of what that could look like. A soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. And he starts here in verse 3 and 4 with the image of a soldier. Now, it wasn't uncommon to see soldiers out and about in the Roman world. This would have been familiar to people. They were scattered everywhere, especially on the borders of the empire. And so he says, join me in suffering like a soldier, meaning the work of the gospel is going to take work. And it's going to be hard. And it's going to be painful at times. And devotion to the task ahead is not going to be easy. You know, Amber and I have been watching the HBO miniseries Band of Brothers recently. We're re-watching it. We've seen it before. Maybe you've watched it about these, these paratroopers, uh, this easy company they're called that's fighting in Europe back in the 40s. And you see, you watch this, how, how difficult it was, how much it required of them from leaving their former lives and their families behind, their, their grueling training then on the battlefield, enduring cold and injury and, and fighting and battle and, and death, all for the cause at hand. Similarly, the way of Christ will not be easy. It will call us to make sacrifices, to endure difficult things so that the kingdom of God might be spread. And so he calls Timothy to this. And as he continues this soldier and suffering metaphor, he, he, he gets more specific in verse 4. He says, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. What's his point? His point is that a soldier is to have a, a clear focus, a singular focus and devotion. A soldier can't afford to get sidetracked. And the language here Paul uses is that what they can't get entangled in civilian affairs. And a civilian affair is what? Essentially uh, anything not directly related to the mission. Okay, in World War II, the, the members of Easy Company and Band of Brothers, they weren't able to be involved in, in the bake sale back home. Right? They had other things they had to focus on. Um, in the first century, actually, soldiers weren't even allowed to get married during their time of service okay, because they had to be strictly devoted to the cause. And so a soldier, he says, can't get caught up in all the other things of life, all these civilian affairs. Now, the word entangled here is really important. He says they can't get entangled in civilian affairs. Uh, that, uh, that word here has the idea of uh, like a weapon that would be caught up in your cloak a weapon that was entangled when you wanted to use it, or a, a sheep that was caught in, in thorns. And so Paul is saying, hey, I'm not just talking about being involved in something, spending time doing various things. I'm talking about being entangled. And that's different. He's saying, Timothy, 
Don't let your involvement in anything be to the degree that it hinders your gospel ministry. Don't be so involved in something that it takes away your focus and your effectiveness in gospel ministry. Do not get sidetracked. Now, I don't think here that Paul is is forbidding Christians from, from running businesses or making money or putting on bake sales or being involved in youth sports or, or even being involved in, in politics. He's not saying, hey, you can't do anything else. He's simply saying that as a Christian, you have to keep the main thing the main thing. So yes, be involved in other things, but don't get entangled. Don't let those other things take away from your gospel ministry and affect your witness. Keep the main thing the main thing. Which is what? Seeing lives transformed by the gospel. Seeing God glorified. Making disciples. Living for the glory of God and the good of our world. Being kingdom minded. And so friends, we have to be really careful right now. Really careful right now. Because it's becoming really easy to get entangled in civilian affairs, right? Let's just talk honestly. It's, it's an election year. Our country is polarized over a number of issues. And my fear is that some of us as Christians will get entangled in these topics so much so that it will forfeit our witness in the world. And so the question for us is, when people think about you, when you come to mind, or when your family comes to mind, what's the first thing that is associated with you? What's the first thing that people think of when they think about you? When they, when they see what you talk about, and what you post about online, and what you celebrate and rave about, and what you, what you rant about when you're frustrated, the things that work you up, that get you worked up, do they see above all a love for Jesus? and a love for people? Do they see, you know what, above all else, this person, they're, they're a gospel person. They're a, a kingdom person. They're a, a Jesus person. So everything else in their life falls in with that. Do people see that in you? Or do we get so excited or worked up or angry or whatever it is about other things that people say, you know what, that's kind of their primary thing. You know, they say, well, that person, you know, they, they see that we're, we're a Republican that you're a Republican, or you're a, a, a Trump defender, or you're anti-mask right now, or you think COVID is overblown. And that's what we talk about or get worked up about the most. Or do people see on the other side of the spectrum that you're, all you talk about is, is social issues or, or climate change or being anti-Trump. We get worked up about are people kneeling during the anthem and we don't like that? Or are they kneeling during the anthem and we love that? And that's what we talk about. And so my point here is not to debate the, the merits of those specific individual points. We could have that conversation, email me. We'd love to talk about any of those things. But my point is that do we let people see the gospel in us first? Do we let people see that our priority is Christ and his kingdom or are we more known for our positions and stances on these various topics? 
There is a problem if we are more known for our positions and stances politically or socially than we are known for our commitment to Jesus and commitment to the gospel. And Paul goes on. He says, No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Right? Rather, our goal is to please Jesus. That's why we're here. That's the focus of a Christian. We want to honor and please our commanding officer, the Lord Jesus. To be devoted to him, saying, Jesus, you are the king, and so we will honor you. Our life is about you and your priorities. I'm going to change my ways and my schedule and my priorities so that they align with your priorities. Now, the image of the soldier here wasn't enough, so Paul continues, and he says, similarly, in verse 5, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. So here he pictures an athlete that has to compete according to specific rules and guidelines and preparation. Uh, this speaks to, to discipline, okay? Because part of the rules here uh, for the Olympic Games in the ancient world at least required athletes to pledge to 10 months prior to the games themselves that they would be training. So they had to pledge and commit to 10 months of rigorous training to prepare for the games. And we actually see the same thing right in our Olympians today. It's probably more than 10 months now, though. Their, their training is intense. Their diet is specific. Their schedule and their routine is set. They have to be disciplined and prepare well in order to compete as an athlete. Like if I just showed up to an Olympic qualifier, you know, and I was like for the past couple months been jogging once a week and have been eating boxes of Twinkies from Costco, uh, they wouldn't let me in. I wouldn't stand a chance. And so this makes us think as Paul uses the image of an athlete, are we training? Are we preparing ourselves for the work of the gospel? Are we competing according to the rules and expectations that are set? And see, we spend great amounts of time and energy training for other things, right? Some of us spend a lot of hours, not me, but some of us spend a lot of hours uh, training our bodies physically, going to the gym or, or running or working out. We spend a lot of time in training, educating our minds, reading, and devoted to study. We, we spend a lot of time maybe learning a new musical interest, instrument or a new skill or, or training for a job, right? We pour hours and hours into training and preparation that we might complete, compete and jump into these efforts, whatever they might be, and do them well. And so the question is, if we do that, if we're that committed, that intentional to training and preparation and discipline in any number of fields, do we do the same thing in our walk with Christ. Do we spend more time and have more of our hearts put into training for life in the kingdom? Or does our life with Jesus just get kind of whatever is left over when everything else is already taken care of? And so if we are to be a, a, an athlete that is disciplined and devoted, we might need to make some changes to our schedule. We might need to have some conversations around the family table about what we prioritize, about where our money goes, about where our time goes. See, following Jesus is not just about 
agreeing to a list of mental propositions. It's about shaping our lives around the way of Jesus, committing to living how he's called us to live, to make time to be in his word and in prayer and in community and serving other people in his name. And the last image here that Paul gives us is verse 6. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crop. So we have a soldier that is devoted, an athlete that is disciplined, and now a farmer that is hardworking, that perseveres. Okay, farming is tough work. People were much more aware of what this would require in the first century because they're closer to uh, uh, agriculture. Uh, today we're a bit removed from that, but we know farming's not easy, right? especially back in the day without the modern machinery and equipment that we enjoy now. Like I- I'm sore after just a little bit of gardening in my backyard, okay? So uh, <laughs> the idea is that the work of ministry and life in the kingdom, sharing the gospel, loving people, is not easy. It takes work. It takes perseverance. It will tire you out, but it'll be worth it. Okay, and he speaks of fruit here. You notice that? should be the first to receive a share of the crops to come. And this seems to have kind of an uh, eschatological focus. Okay, looking to the end, pointing to the end, that, that we won't always see the fruit now. But as we labor and plant and water and fertilize, we look forward to the day when we will see the impact that our lives had. We'll enjoy that day that our hard work and our labor was not in vain. And maybe especially now we need this reminder that, that if, if it feels like we're just engaging in a hard work, hard labor, loving people, loving our families, being a part of our church community, if it's, if it's difficult, it's a hard season right now, we do so looking forward to the crops, to the, to the fruit that is to come, to, to seeing the impact that our lives had. And we can't always see it now. And so I know that some of us are discouraged. I know some of us are weary. And so I don't want us to just have, a, again, a burden placed on our back, but I want us to look forward with anticipation and see that our labor is not going to be in vain. Our lives are having an impact greater than what we can see right now. And so after these images, Paul ends, I love this in verse 7. Look what he says in verse 7. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. It seems that these images and metaphors that Paul is using uh, required some reflection from Timothy. Timothy, hey, you need to think about these things. You need to, to chew on this. You need to mull it over. You need to think about it uh, in the shower later. You need to think about it at, at breakfast tomorrow. Don't just like read past this or think about, okay, soldier and athlete and farmer. That's kind of cute and cool. Good, good message, Paul. And, and then just go on with your life. He's saying, no, think about these things. Reflect on what I am saying. Is this true of your life? Are you devoted like a soldier, disciplined like an athlete, hardworking like a farmer? And I know this all could be daunting and overwhelming. I mean, we're tired, we're weary. Maybe we don't need another uh, to-do list. But I, but I hope that, that this message, these truths could be inspiring. Because when we catch the vision for something that's bigger than ourselves, we are willing to be devoted to sacrifice for something that we see is valuable. We'll give our time. We'll give our energy. We'll move across the country if we believe in something, if we believe in a cause. And so what better cause, what better story, what better mission could we be a part of 
then the mission of God, the kingdom of God, the work of the gospel in our world that has implications for, for now that could transform lives and families and communities and individual hearts and uh, has implications into eternity, changes people's eternal state and their relationship with God forever. What greater thing could we be a part of than working and living for the glory of God and the good of our world in Jesus' name? And so this is where I leave you this morning. Reflect on these things. What does this mean for you? How do you need to be more devoted to Christ? You need to put your faith in him for the first time and repent of your sin and trust in him for salvation. Some of us need to start there. Some of us need to be more disciplined. Some of us need to uh, have perseverance. Maybe there's changes in our life we need to make, steps of obedience we need to take, changes in our schedule, things we need to say no to. We need to get intentional and work on a plan to grow. Some of us need prayer because we're discouraged. I don't know exactly what you need, but I encourage you to sit and reflect on what that might look like. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you that in in this word this morning, we, we started with the word of grace, that you have given us life and salvation in your favor as a gift. So we don't work, we don't labor, uh, we don't compete uh, as an athlete. In, in order to earn your favor, we already have it. You've already given it to us freely. Thank you for the freedom that that gives us and the joy that that brings. And now, Lord, would you help us reflect on these truths, uh, on some changes we need to make in our lives to be more committed to you and your kingdom? Would you guide us by your spirit? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.